you know, it's not every day that you get to speak to a Super Bowl winning quarterback. And that's why this show is so special. And this is why this interview is extremely special to me. I'm going to be chatting with Brad Johnson, Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But he had himself quite the career in the NFL. But what some don't know is what happened prior to that as well. Did you know that basketball was one of his main sports? Did you know that Larry Bird was his favorite player? Well, today we're going to be hearing all about his experience. Did you also know that he played college basketball as well as college football at Florida State? Some of the little nuggets that you may not have known about his career, we're going to be breaking that down today. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru Podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. As you guys heard in the introduction, I am super stoked to be introducing our guest today, uh, former NFL quarterback. He's now a trick shot specialist and much, much more. Um, we're going to learn about his journey and and hear about his career and maybe some advice he'd give to athletes that are coming up. Um, but I'm super excited to bring him on. Shout out to all the listeners out there. We're in 97 countries. Uh, all thanks to everybody in the last five and a half years of this show. Thank you guys for all the support. Uh, we look forward to growing into more and more parts of the world as we we continue to move forward with this show. But introducing our former NFL quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback, Brad Johnson. Brad, thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, Shane, I appreciate reaching out, man. Look forward to telling some stories and have a little fun here. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, sir, and I appreciate you. And uh, here's the thing that, you know, one of the questions that I had um, in my mind as I was doing some research on your career. I already kind of followed you as a, as a, you know, a kid growing up and whatnot. Um, but I didn't know this piece of information that basketball was kind of one of your main passions, uh, growing up. And in fact, I actually didn't know that you were a collegiate basketball player. So, um, I think that a lot of guys that are around my age, mid thirties might have forgotten that piece of information too. So do you mind like maybe talking to us about your basketball career? Cause we know you as the quarterback, but maybe talk yeah. about the basketball side of things growing up. Yeah, I, I grew up in Black Mountain, North Carolina, up in the western part near Asheville, North Carolina. And I grew up, my dad ran summer camps called Camp Ridgecrest and Camp Crestridge for boys and girls. And summer camps, uh, you name it, archery, horseback, two square, dodgeball, all those kind of things. And But I, I grew up loving basketball. I mean, loving basketball. I played it, I taught it many times, but I said I, I, I never missed a day from second grade all the way through my freshman year of college of shooting hoops or playing games or something with a basketball. And um, my, my childhood dream, my goals were to be like Larry Bird or Chris Mullen and uh, North Carolina basketball with Dean Smith and Michael Jordan. They were my, um, that was my favorite team. A guy at my high school was named Brad Doherty, who played in the NBA for a while. He was the All-American, came out of our high school, was a seven-footer. And, um, you know, I had someone to look up to. And then actually Roy Williams, he, he just retired from North Carolina. He coached at my high school too. So... I grew up playing every day and going through my high school career, I was an all state basketball player, scored uh, 2,392 points in basketballs and in football, I was an all American, but honestly, I wasn't, I can't, I say I made all American probably in football, more of my potential and size. I was a better basketball player in high school and I had to choose which sport I was going to play. 
And I remember going to uh, my favorite coach and was Bobby Crimmins, who actually played. He's a coach at Georgia Tech. And I went to all his camps when he was at Appalachian State and obviously at Georgia Tech. And, and I went there and he offered me a scholarship. And, and um, but he said, Brad, what do you, what do you want to do? You know, I said, well, I want to play basketball. But he says, what are you better at? He says, well, I'm, I'm better at basketball now, but I'm going to be better at football in the end. And, and so he said, Brad, I got a guy coming in here named Dennis Scott. Okay, Dennis Scott played 11 years in the NBA, and he changed my life and probably doesn't even know. He said, Brad, I only play five guys. And Dennis Scott's going to be my guy, and you play behind him, so you're probably not going to play much. <laughs> and so I, I appreciate his wisdom because he, he, he said, Brad, what's, what's true to you? I said, well, my, my goal is to become a pro player one day, pro football, pro whatever. And um, so I, just, I decided to go play for the great Bobby Bowden at Florida State. And then I actually walked onto the basketball team, even though I was on football scholarship, and played two years of basketball at Florida State. Uh, we made the NCAAs twice. Um, started about 13 games. I was pretty much a role player, though. And, um, but I had to make a decision. Then after about two years, Coach Bowden pulled me into his office. He said, Brad, what are you going to do? says, you're, you're losing time because you're having to go through basketball all the way through December, and you miss some football, half of spring football, because of uh, the NCAA tournament. So eventually I said, you know what, I'm done with basketball, and I'm going football. But basketball is my passion. And let me just give you a little drill here, okay? I'm going to turn you around here real quick. Oh, so wow. pictures of Larry Bird. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'll take you to the other side, okay? Oh, wow. Okay, so that, that tells you. That tells you. I'm, I'm telling you I was a basketball nut, okay? So that's. That's kind of where I was at. Man, okay. That's that's so insightful because I did not know that piece of your career. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at where you're at now, you can say, you know, I had a Super Bowl ring, which we'll get into. And like, I, I think it worked out for you, but that's actually really cool because very few athletes can actually play multiple sports at the division one level, especially. And so you did so. That, that's yeah. wild to me, but I understand why you have to eventually choose. If you could look back, Brad, and you, and you think about your basketball career and your football career, you know, we always talk about multi-sport athletes. I mean, I coach basketball at the 17-year-old club level, so we're traveling around the country playing ball. And I try to talk to him about, like, being a multi-sport athlete and some of the benefits of it. But from you who played at a very high level for both of them, uh, what would you say about multiple sports, like, and how that can impact you? Is it a good thing? Is it positive? And if so, what are the benefits from basketball that you could translate into football? It's a great question. Uh, <laughs> kind of may I'll be long-winded here a little bit, but – um, I think sports, there's a carryover, okay? Whether you're the star player, whether you're the backup player, and basketball, you're always, is it man-to-man -man play? Is it a zone play? Is it out-of-bounds play? What's the time score? How many timeouts do you have? Who has fouls? Is it a pick-and-roll situation? Is it, is it a zone? Is it an odd front? Is it an even front? And how are we going to face it? And, 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 and so what I'm saying is there's decision-making processes that take place. Not alone different athletic skills that take place, right hand, left hand, the, uh, the body awareness of people around you, um, winning, losing, locker room, all that kind of stuff is a big carryover to me. And so um, I think all those, especially for a quarterback, there's a great carryover. Now, the hardest part, I think when you're young, I think you need to play as many sports as you can. Go play ultimate frisbee. Go play golf. Go play Go play – you name the sport, go play it. Go compete, okay? And then at some point, what's I think the hardest part now is athletic directors, they need to get together and let these kids play more sports in high school because the seasons carry over. And in the summer times, what coach is dominating 
what practice can you go to? Football, basketball, baseball. So I wish the athletic directors would take over and let these kids, you know, deal with the coaches because they say, if you don't come to my summer practice, I'm not going to let you play. You know what I mean? So those kind of things. But in the high school, it's hard to do three. Hopefully you can do two. And then if you're elite, maybe you go to one. But I, I think it's a great carryover. Um, I want to change the subject on a little bit. So uh, I'm just talking about Larry Bird and all that kind of stuff. When he was my he was my childhood hero, okay? And at Florida State, I actually got benched. So we may get into all that kind of stuff in football. But my junior year, I actually thought about quitting. Oh, wow. I actually thought about transferring. I actually thought about maybe going to the draft. I, I thought about maybe going back to basketball. And it was really weird. I got this friend named T.R. Robinson. He just meets people and it's kind of crazy. But he actually ran into Larry Bird. Okay. And then Larry Bird, he wrote me a letter. Okay. And I'm going to read it to you real quick. Oh, wow. Let's hear it. And uh, so I'll show it to you here as it goes on. Okay. But this is the letter I got from Larry Bird. All right. Let's, let's move the screen here so you get to see all the pictures in the background of Larry Bird. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Let's bring it to life. All right. Brad, just got off the phone with T.R. He told me a little bit about life in Nolan. I thought I'd relate this story to you. Remember when I got when I hurt my foot, all the skeptics came out, but I I kept on believing. Then I came back, and they said I was slower, wider, and uglier. But I kept believing. It would have been easy to call it a career, but looking back on it, I'm glad I kept on believing. So, Brad, a little advice: there are a lot of people who believe in you. So keep so keep working hard. Keep your head up. Keep busting your tail and always remember to keep on believing, Larry Bird. So it's pretty cool. Like, you know, I kind of got that letter from somebody, you know what I mean? And and just someone that competes. And that's that's kind of where my story was. But going back to that other thing, uh, tell kids to play multiple sports and go be great at it. That, that Wow, man. I'm like blown away because that's like your idol, man, that you got a letter. And that is so cool. Yeah. So cool. Holy cow. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Cause that's, that's super, super sweet to hear. Um, and I hope the athletes that are listening to this podcast right now, the ones, whether I coach you or not, um, any, any young athlete, listen to Brad's words right here, because you'll, you'll kind of see like, obviously that it has a benefit to it. He has been able to compete at the highest level. Um, but like you were just saying right there, um, this will kind of transition to another question that I had the ups and downs, like people will look at you and be like, oh man, you had a long career. I mean, a, a long career because NFL stands for not for long. Everybody says, oh, it's like three years. Most people don't even make it out of the rookie deal. No, you you lasted a long time. You have a Super Bowl ring to show for it. You did a lot of things. You played at a very high level, but some people might not realize there were probably some peaks and valleys uh, throughout your career. One of those being right there, I guess, in college. But Brad, would you mind maybe talking about maybe elaborating there or even any other kind of downfalls that you had and how you were able to overcome those in your sports career. Right. Everybody has a story. It, it doesn't matter where you, where you come from, you have a story to tell. And so um, I was five years at Florida state, played 17 years in the NFL at Florida state. There were some great quarterbacks in my room. There was um, Danny McManus who played in the Canadian league for 19 years and threw 52,000 yards and Pierre Tom Willis played four years in the NFL and Casey Webb, my best friend was a, runner-up to the Heisman, and Chris Winkie, he won a national championship in Heisman at Florida State, and Charlie Ward won a national championship in Heisman, and Kenny Felder, another quarterback, was a um, first-round draft pick in baseball. So competitive in our, in our room. You know, we all thought each other stunk, and we all thought we were the best one. And then my 17-year career, 
I mean, I, you can't go through it. I mean, just all the list of quarterbacks, the list of uh, the highs, the lows, the, the wins, the losses. And, you know, the higher the peak, the lower the valley. And I think the greatness of, of athletes, of people, uh, go ahead and I, I want to know when, when people, if I'm going to ask you a question, I'm going to say, what, what have you been through? What is your ring of fire? What is your adversity that you've been through? What's made you who you are? And, you know, you got to go through it. And I keep, no one can do it for you. There's lonely days. There's tough times. There's injuries. There's losses. There's like whatever it is. But embrace that adversity because, you know, you're going to build you're going to build a high peak, but you can't give up. You got to be great at your craft. You can't worry about the, the little man on your shoulder like, oh, people don't think good about me or I didn't do good today or what the newspaper writers say about me. Like you got to be you got to have thick skin. You got to be tough. But I think the greatness of it all is you got to have, have a passion for something, be great at your craft and see how good you can come at it. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. But um, embrace competition. Embrace adversity, and then go be great. I love that, man. I love that. Um, you have kids of your own, and I'm sure you know they've competed in sports. Nowadays, there's a lot of social media pressures um, compared to like when I guess during your your playing days. It's a little different from the media side of things. Is there any advice you'd give to the athletes, or is it the same thing as far as like the like do you shut off social media period, or do you just embrace the adversity, like you said, where you're like, okay, I can listen to those tweets that are coming out about me, or the Instagram and Snapchats and all the things that are in between. But like, what what would your advice be to them? Because it feels like there's a lot of pressure on social media now. It's just it's wild. Yeah, um, growing up, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have email. Uh, to make a highlight tape, it was a VHS tape, and you'd have to send off to your to your, to these colleges and hope they sent the VHS tape back to you. And they weren't going to do it because they wanted to be the only school that was going to see you play. So it was tough. Um, it was more of a team setting kind of thing back in the day. And, and now it's become social media. I listen, I, I'm 53. I just finally got on social media. I have nothing to, I have nothing to push. I mean, I'm just having fun, like my trick shots and things I put out there. But I would tell kids, if you're a young kid, having great aspirations to become a whatever player you want to become, spend your time in the gym. Spend your time, um, the 10,000-hour rule. Like, it doesn't always have don't, – you don't always have to have a trainer. You don't always have to have a team set. Go in your backyard. Make imaginary games. Create – create things. Play shirts and skins with somebody. Go play pickup ball. Go, go work. Go be great at your craft, you know. There is a social media part of it. Um, you know, it is what it is. If you want to be, if, if that's what you're gonna do, but don't spend your time doing that. Let your let your greatness be be caught on the court, be caught on the field, and then you know, be if you're gonna tweet stuff out or whatever, you know, make sure it's positive. Stay upbeat. Uh, don't ever put anything out negative on social media. It will come back and haunt you at some point. But I spend more time in the gym and let your greatness, let others talk about you. And then at some point, there'll be a time where you can hire a marketing guy. <laughs> they can do all your social media for you. Oh, I love that. That is awesome advice. You know, transitioning from the college game to the NFL game. Now, now I want to, I want to kind of dive into this real quick. I've, I remember watching something on ESPN. I must've been like 15 years old at the time. I don't know. Um, this is a long time ago. It feels like almost 20 years ago. And I remember some of the quarterbacks, Michael Vick, Peyton Manning, uh, they, they were talking about the difference in the playbooks, like, the, like the cadence that like you have to call out a play and like, Peyton Manning and Michael Vick were talking about like how their college plays took them like maybe three or four seconds to say if that, and then it would take you upwards of 
10 to 12 seconds to to name off a play. And I remember they were saying some plays and it was like, that's why the play clock matters so much. Cause you get the play, you go in there and you're calling the play the play takes forever. And it has like 10 different options. So maybe um, if, if I could get you, was there a transition from maybe calling the plays as a quarterback at Florida state to then your first NFL season, trying to learn the playbook? Was there, what was the transition like? I should say. Yeah. Uh, great question. Uh, real quick. And I'll explain it. Like, Back in the day, it was simple words, and then it gets the lengthy words in the pros. But now it's getting back to shorter words in oh, okay. college because of the spread and the speed game of no huddle and going quick. So a simple play like at Florida State might have been a right 460 dip, R7 waggle, um, RC 268, um, R344 Cadillac. Okay, so then in the pros, it might be you shift to green left west, F short, spire two wide, and Z overheads up for 359 smoke. Axe double right spear, Larry 735 H pump. Green right slot, 97 Wanda, heads up for Buster Call, kill 96 Seattle, heads up for 58 Dolphin. So that's kind of where it went. And then back to the speed game now where everybody's no huddle, look to the sidelines. A quarterback may not even say a word. He may just clap his hands. Everybody saw the signal. And they said, they said, you know, zebra, zebra. Just everybody kind of know, knows what the play is. So, so the game's always evolving. The game's changing. I think the biggest thing for quarterbacks or players just be be open minded, have the capability to learn, uh, learn different concepts, and then uh, you know just be able to be good at whatever that system calls for. That's wild. You know, Matt Hasselback one time said like he had to read his playbook to his daughter, I guess, or something to try to like learn it like a bedtime story. Cause it was so thick. Yeah. How did you go about, or were you just naturally like able to pick stuff up? Cause those plays you just rattled off right there. It's a foreign language to some people, obviously the right. majority of the public. I mean, that's just how right. it is. How did you learn the playbook? How did you have any tips or tricks to learn the professional playbook? Yeah. I, I'm not a guy that can sit here and, and recite nursery rhymes. Okay. And sing songs <laughs> and know every word. Like I, I don't, I de I'm not good at it. And so a lot of times the, the actual work week starts in the pros. You play on Sunday. The actual first practice is Wednesday morning. And then you kind of go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, different situations, uh, base plays, third down plays, short yardage, red zone, two minute, and then it kind of goes. It's a lot. Of, you'll end up running about 120 plays, different type of plays for a game plan for each particular week. I would struggle calling the plays on Wednesday, like uh, 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 Axe, uh, you know what I mean? Struggle. Thursday got a little better than Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it would roll off my tongue. And at nighttime, because it wasn't just the same play every week, you'd add a different personnel, a different shift, a different motion, um, just a different way to attack. And, and so I spent 90% of my time going through my play sheet and 10% really just watching the film. Because if I knew my play sheet so well and knew cover three, I'm going here, cover two, I'm going here, quarters, I'm going here, all out blitz, I'm checking this. I would just repeat it over to myself over and over and over. A lot of times before, like we'd have quarterback meetings at 8 o'clock, I'd show up about 6.45, get the scripts for the day, and just read them and read them and read them and read them and read them. And then at nighttime, I'd take that sheet home and I'd read it to myself just over and over. Because in the same way, even on game day, say if we had a uh, – I would read – I'd go through my whole playbook in the morning at the hotel. It would take me about an hour just to look at every play, to call it out, and then say it was a good hour. And then before games, I'd look at it for about another 20, 25 minutes, just re recalling the plays. So a lot of times, 
you know, that way you could almost you could feel when the coach was what, what third down play he had just because of a signal or a grouping he might have by motion shift. So it's a long answer there, but I spent a lot of time learning that language because on game day it's loud. You better know your stuff because one word that you mess up, it messes up the whole stinking play. So you better be right on your words that you call in the huddle. Man, that's so much pressure to be on your shoulders, but that's why like quarterbacks get paid when they get paid. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, that's hard. And, the, and I, what I hate, Brad, is when people always say like athletes are dumb jocks. I hate that. I hate that phrase, dumb jocks. I'm like, okay, listen to Brad, just go rewind what you just said there and see if that sounds dumb to you or not. Like what you just said yeah. about the plays, call out a play and see if, if you think they're dumb. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. but, but everybody has a different gift. You know what I mean? Right. So some people may be football. Some people may be, you know, maybe a lawyer, some maybe maybe a doctor, some people maybe a teacher. So you're great at your craft. So you can't be smart at everything. You know what I mean? So that that's kind of way whatever you're doing, be great at that. I love that, man. So as as you uh spent your career, um, you spent two or uh, two stints with Minnesota. Minnesota was a big part of your career. Uh talk about Minnesota, the 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 organization, the atmosphere there and the city there, I guess. Like what we what was your time like there? And uh, overall, how did that help you develop, especially your first stint with Minnesota? How did that help you develop as a, a professional? Yeah, I was the ninth round pick, uh, 227th pick, 1992 draft. My career went seven years in Minnesota, two years in Washington, four years in Tampa, two more years back at Minnesota, then two years um, in Dallas. And I had one little stint at the World League in between all that. So, But as when I got drafted, I really wasn't ready to play. Like we talked about at the beginning, I was a basketball player. I was a late bloomer in football. And, and so we had uh, Rich Gannon was a quarterback, tough, great quarterback, leader. Uh, Sean Salisbury there. Wade Wilson was there. Then, then Jim McMahon came the next year. Then Warren Moon was there for three years. And, but I learned a lot from those guys. Even though I didn't get practice reps, I learned how they took notes, how they, how they, um, they practice, how they handled throwing touchdowns, how they handled throwing interceptions, how they did the media how they handled the regular work week schedule. Uh, so I learned from them. And it, it took that. I was grateful that some guys are thrown into the fire way too fast. Yeah. And they're not ready for it. You say you want it, but are you ready for it? You know? And there's just a lot more than just throwing a spiral or winning a game. There's a lot more that comes to it at that position. You, you run a franchise, you know? So grateful for Denny Green, grateful for uh, Jack Burns who drafted me. And Brian Billick being with him for seven years in one system was pretty incredible. But we had some great teams, great runs there. And, and uh, But Minnesota, I always call it you know, my home. I spent nine years of my life there. And thankful for that opportunity. That's so cool, though, to hear because, uh, you know, it, 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 it might not have been your traditional, like, quarterback gets drafted and starts from day one or whatever. Like, you were learning behind the scenes, like, everything that the – the other quarterbacks were doing in the quarterback room, all the preparation, all that stuff. I think that's awesome. That's a, that's vital. Um, and I think that's probably a big reason why you were able to have the longevity that you had in your career is because you learned those things from the beginning. I, I think, like you mentioned, a lot of, not a lot, but there are, there are many that get drafted and they get thrown into the fire sometimes. And then their careers don't end up being as long, unfortunately, because the professional game's a lot different than what they're probably used to. And it's not just playing the game. There's a lot of aspects to the professional game that they're not used to doing. And, you know, we wanted to talk about your Super Bowl, uh, your Super Bowl experience with Tampa Bay. Uh, at one point, I talked to a guy named uh, Coach Mike Christensen. He was a, an assistant um, at Tampa Bay for a little while. He actually lives here in Boise, Idaho. So I got to chat with him a little bit. Really like Mike, but I remember talking to him about that that organization, that team. Uh, just talking about 
Tampa Bay back then. I mean, that was during the the glory days of the the defense, just on unstoppable. Um, there were some good good uh, football players there. You had an experience, you know, you got to be with them, and you got to play in a Super Bowl and and win a ring. And and I want to know from your perspective, Brad, like what was that like? You got the Super Bowl banner behind you. Like I just winning a Super Bowl, just even competing in a Super Bowl. What is the difference between you know prep, prepping and playing in a Super Bowl compared to like that of a, even just a playoff game? I want to know what the difference is from your perspective, especially a quarterback. Well, the, honestly, I didn't prepare any more the week of the Super Bowl than I did any other week. There was only one week in between our NFC Championship game with Philadelphia and the Super Bowl. Uh, there wasn't a lot of time. I was dealing with hotel tickets and <laughs> um, game tickets and transportation for everybody. and There's a lot going on with that. But, um, yeah, the Super Bowl, that, that's the ultimate goal. I mean, either you win it or you don't. There's 35 guys, quarterbacks that have won it. 32 are still living. Johnny Unitas and Bart Starr and Kenny Staber passed away. So think about that group of guys that you got to be. It's a, one of the smallest clubs in the world. It's, it's, it's the most coveted position in the world to play. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, you got kids transferring in middle school and high school to be at certain places and trying to get all these scholarships and stuff. So, but if you're going to win it, you better have great coaches. Thankful for John Gruden that was there that that made it happen for us, brought in 21 free agents over the season. Um, think about Mike Tomlin, who went on to win Super Bowls. He's a defensive coach for us. And uh, at Pittsburgh, you think about Rob Marinelli, went on to be a head coach. You think about uh, Monty Kiffin, the, the greatest of Tampa, too, and Bill Bill Muir, our offensive line coach, and, and, and uh, Coach Mann, our receivers coach. I mean, we were loaded with coaches now. We had one running back coach now as the head coach at – USFL team. So, I mean, and then player-wise, we had obviously had three Hall of Famers and John Lynch and Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp and hopefully Rondé Barber and Simeon Rice make it. And has, uh, Dexter Jackson was MVP and Shell Quarles, I think, was the best leader on that team. And offensively, I mean, you get Keyshawn Johnson and Keenan McCardell and Joe Vicious and Ricky Dudley and Ken Dilger and Michael Pippen and Mike Allstott. I mean, Robin Olbin, Kerry Jenkins, Jeff Christie, Cozy Coleman and Kenyatta Walker, like, it was a loaded team, but if you're going to win it, you better have loaded coaches. You better have loaded players. And uh, no one should get the success, but everybody wearing the ring. It's not one side of the ball or not. That is so cool, man. I, I will just say this. I was in ninth grade during that Super Bowl, so that kind of gives you an understanding where I was at. And our, our geometry teacher in ninth grade <clears throat> was rooting for the Raiders or whatever. He said, hey, if, if the Bucks win, you guys don't have to turn in your homework assignment. I didn't even do my homework assignment. I had so much confidence in the Bucks. I and I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan, so like I believe right. in silver, but I was rooting for the Bucks, and uh, you guys did it for me. So I, just thanks to you and your squad, I didn't have to turn in my geometry assignment the next day. Um, and my teacher was actually quite frustrated because he was he wasn't just like rooting against you. He was a diehard Raider. Like I mean, it was bad. So he was in a bad mood. It was fantastic for me though. I banked on it, and you guys did it for me. So. You know, Brad, as you look back at your career from a football perspective, winning a Super Bowl and all the ups and downs and everything in between, what would you say is the biggest life lesson that sports have taught you? Uh, enjoy the – wow, I kind of said earlier, but really just have a passion for something that you love, deal with adversity, uh, become great at it, get creative, learn from others. Um, success is – it has to be self-driven, but it has to be – team-oriented at the same time. It's always a do-it-yourself project because you have to find different ways to get better, improve. But um, but it's a short thing. It's only a short term that you need to play. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed anything. 
you got to go out there and earn it. No one's gonna, no one's gonna give you anything. And uh, but I say just kind of enjoy what you're doing, and uh, don't get caught up into the uh, media. He said, she said, kind of thing. Don't let someone else uh, tell you what you're worth. You know, uh, just believe in yourself. Oh, I love that, and I appreciate that. Who was the, your favorite player that you played against? I should say, like, I know you, you've talked about, like, Larry Bird was your idol. You got to get a letter from him that was vital to your, you know, at that particular point in your life. But throughout your professional career, is there a player that you played against that you were like, man, that guy's good, or I've looked up to that guy forever, where you might have been, like, star-shocked or anything? Who was who was the, the best player you played against and why? Well, I, I can't just name one. I'm I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean I, I, think, I think I played with – Deion Sanders at Florida State and played against him and with him in the pros. To me, he was the best player I ever was around, honestly. Like just athletically, like dominated his his thing. But when you play against Reggie White, Bruce Smith, and and uh Ed Reed and Leroy Butler and John Lynch and Warren Sapp and John Randall and Rondé Barber, and I mean, the list goes on, you know. And I think you know, Ray Lewis, I mean, the, the, you pick one. I mean, they're all – but what you do is you beat them over time. You've beaten them and they've beaten you, you know what I mean? But to, to what they've accomplished in their career is pretty incredible. And I'd say the difference with the, the Hall of Famers and some guys that are close are just that they, they did it over time. And their leadership skills that they had, the way they impacted uh, the players around them and, and uh, their organizations, and they did it over time. And that's the key to that. But it's uh, grateful for those opportunities to play against those legends. And uh, – you know, some of them were uh, nightmares thinking about who you're going to play against when you go against Reggie White. You know what I mean? But, yeah. but there's also fun when you're able to kind of pull out a win, too. No, for sure. I, I would just – that's crazy. You just mentioned – I mean, prime time. Obviously, as a Cowboys fan, got to witness him when I was a younger kid just dominating it every aspect. And you just mentioned all these names. It's like taking me back in time. I love it. So just two two more questions for you as we wrap up the interview, Brad. You know, I've spoken to other NFL and former NFL players – and they talk about the physical demands on the body um, and, and what, you know, their body goes through on a weekly basis. And, you know, we've had some serious conversations about recovery and forms of recovery and so forth. One of the things I always like admired about you is how you took care of yourself though. Like you did like, and there's a lot of players that, you know, they take care of their bodies. Do you mind giving us any like examples and tips or tricks of how you could take care of your body um, and, and be able to take the beating that you take? I mean, you mentioned these big players, you're getting hit by 300 plus pound linemen sometimes and maybe a blitzing corner that's coming full speed. They might not be as big, but they hit just as hard. And it's like, you know, you probably don't feel hundred percent like ever, but how do you, uh, how did you go about recovery and, and taking care of your body to make sure you could play for as long as you did? Yeah. Sleep is a big thing. Oh, wow, you gotta okay. get, you gotta get your rest. Nutrition is a big thing, but sleep is the biggest to me. Just like letting your body recover, um, but not being lazy. Now, I'll be honest with you, my wife, <laughs> she probably didn't like me. Uh, we didn't go on many vacations. I mean, <laughs> we didn't go. More, three days is all I'd give her. Then we were actually in some hotel. We were probably in some weight room in the hotel, or I was on the beach running. I mean, so I worked out every day. I mean, if, I, if, if after the season was over, I'd take one day off maybe two if I was driving, and then I was back in the gym working out. Like, I wasn't a guy that was going to take time off. Uh, but I think every day wasn't just a killer workout, but being consistent over time is a big, big deal. And uh, just, you know, I loved it. I loved it, every bit of it. 
fell in love with the the grind that it is. That's that's awesome. I just think that a lot of uh, people, a lot of athletes, don't realize what you've got to actually put in and sleep. I love that you mentioned sleep because it's such an underrated uh, aspect of it all. When I spoke to Trevor Moad, rest in peace, he was talking about uh, he was a, a, a mental consultant for Russell Wilson, but he also talked about um, working with, I believe it was Fred Taylor with the Jaguars at one point, and uh, sleep was a huge piece for that because he kept ha- he was dealing with hamstring issues and all sorts of stuff. And he wasn't about to make his next contract and they started talking to him about sleep. So he'd go home earlier instead of going out to the clubs. Well, what that naturally did was obviously sleep helps your recovery. But secondly, it was keeping him away from doing some stupid things and he was staying hydrated more because he's not consuming other things and so forth. And so the sleep aspect, not only did he help him recover because the benefits of sleep itself, but it also stemmed into other aspects of his life. He was able to make himself a nice career as well. So I'm glad that you brought up sleep because that's a, a thing that's been brought up before too. So my last question for you, Brad, this is uh, why I even like was able to like reach out to you was because of TikTok. We, you kind of referenced it earlier. You're 53. You just now got into social media not too long ago, you know, within the last couple of years. TikTok, big bad Brad, backed by popular demand, that that <laughs> deal, you know, like I, I loved it. I was like, right. this is awesome. I've been following you. I think it's so cool. Um, it's kind of fun too. It's like, it's pretty sweet to kind of watch some of the stuff. I love it. It's entertainment. Uh, talk to us about your TikTok channel and, and what got you into doing trick shots and doing all this fun stuff on TikTok because everyone thinks of TikTok as this like, dancing app it's not it's actually kind of fun it's you can find whatever you want to find on tiktok but for me it started during the pandemic when my kids were home we were eating and working out all the time and then they started doing these dance videos and i couldn't keep up coordination wise so i was the cameraman but then when i first got on there i put a lot of my uh videos of my career uh workout videos i've done in my weight room and all that kind of stuff just having fun with it you know and then I started making trick shots. And so with my trick shots, what's a little bit different is I don't, I try to make it, uh, everything in multiple or in sequence, uh, uh, three, four, maybe five shots in a row. And with a football or basketball, combine them, it may be a shot over the backboard, a hook shot from half court and bounce it off between my legs and throw a football. Like, it's just kind of crazy, all the stuff that's it's kind of taking a life of its own. Uh, Big Bad Brand, I thought I'd just go incognito. You know what I mean? <laughs> started that. But actually, with the Big Bad Brad thing, we've done a thing. It's This is the hat. It's given to me after the Super Bowl. I always wear it. And uh, so I don't I don't make any shots without the hat. It's crazy. But under that, we've, we've created uh, – if you go under cafepress.com uh, backslash Big Bad Brad 14, you can buy all the Big Bad Brad gear you want. It's and it's all on there. But all that money goes to a charity called Beyond All Borders back up in, in North Carolina. So that's – Go on that website. You'll find all the stuff you want. Just have fun with it. But that's, I've had more fun. It gives me great exercise. I tell people it's, you know, sometimes it's first time, first take. Sometimes it's a lifetime of practice and other times it takes what it takes. But I just had fun with it. I love it. I'd encourage all those who are listening to this, go follow him on on uh, TikTok and check it out. Like I've seen you throw the ball with multiple, like your left hand, right hand. Like I'm like, right. whoa, whoa. Okay. Now like all sorts <laughs> of stuff. Like it's it gets crazy. crazy. It's and- pretty crazy. I love it. I love it. I'll put the link here in the the description of the podcast as well that you just mentioned. If anyone wants to go and you know purchase some big bad brag gear, and then that can go to the charity that you just just referenced. Super super cool. I just want to say thanks again, Brad, for being willing to join me and share a little piece of your story. And uh, I look forward to following you on TikTok and seeing what the rest of your career you know does for you. So thank you so much, sir. Very good, Shane. I appreciate it, man reaching out. You're gonna be a pro at this thing for a long time. So thanks, brother. Thank you so much. For all the listeners out there, make sure you uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.